I'm not an ordained minister, nor an elder of this church, nor a deacon, so I'm not entirely certain that this is all legal. But when Pete asked me to preach, I thought about it and decided, hey, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I don't see any rotten tomatoes, dodgeballs, water balloons, so I'm going to assume that the coast is clear. Our text for this evening is from Psalm 68. I would like to read verses 5 and 6. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Tonight I would like to make some observations related to the first part of verse 6. God makes a home for the lonely. I have three main points. First, God makes a home for the lonely in our earthly families. Second, God makes a home for the lonely in his heavenly family. And third, membership in God's heavenly family sustains us through the challenges of our earthly families to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. For the families of the church, for the family that is the church, we pray that you would convict, forgive, and turn us from sin where needed. Encourage the discouraged, strengthen the weak. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My Uncle Larry suffered a stroke the Monday before this past Christmas, and he died early in the morning on Christmas Eve day. For reasons none of us family members fully understand, Prior to this, he had chosen a life of estrangement from the rest of us for over 15 years. I believe this must have been due, at least in part, to lingering emotional and psychological effects he suffered from the 18-month tour of duty he served in the Vietnam War as a young man. He served heroically, heroically and sacrificially, decorated with two bronze stars and two purple hearts. However, I believe the unthinkable circumstances he endured in Vietnam certainly must have left their marks on his soul. I know there were also relationships within our family that were strained and unhealthy. But why we hadn't heard from or seen him in over 15 years, I guess I will never fully understand. His death has left relationships with an ex-wife, children, siblings, and others beyond any hope of reconciliation. Perhaps Uncle Larry, like so many of us, was among those who Thoreau described as living lives of quiet desperation. I do know that my uncle liked rock and roll music, and I especially remember listening to the Beatles at his house as a child. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody, doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to, isn't he a bit like you and me? Ah. Look at all the lonely people. Now, my intent is certainly not to dishonor my uncle's memory. I liked listening to the Beatles at his house as a boy, and our family is saddened by our loss of him. However, I do want to leave this lingering sense of melancholy in our thoughts for a moment because it describes not only the dynamics of my family, but of many of our families. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, Into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The answer, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Last week, one of my kindergarten students told me, Mr. Holmberg, tomorrow I get to go and see my real mom. 
All that might be implied in these words accurately summarizes the point that we are broken people living in broken families. Ah, look at all the lonely people. And yet, the text declares God makes a home for the lonely. Our Heavenly Father sets the solitary in families. Indeed, God does make a home for the lonely in our earthly families. God establishes, cares about, and sustains our families, ideally to be places of friendship, love, and shelter from the brokenness in the world. If we take a look at the earliest portions of God's revelation to mankind, we find that a fundamental blessing of God on humans is to live together in a family. For a man and woman to be inseparably bound together on earth and to experience a bit of God's creative power in becoming, in a sense, co-creators with him, becoming not only husband and wife, but also daddy and mommy, as God allows. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Later in Genesis, we find that God's promise to Abraham, which includes a hint of God's saving promise in the coming Messiah, necessitated that Abraham be married and become a father. That is, in order for the promise to be fulfilled that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Abraham had to become Father Abraham. So there's something special in God's eyes about our being raised in a family, about growing up, marrying, should God desire it, and raising a family of our own. It seems to me that in Abraham's case, the earthly blessing of becoming a father and raising a family was part of the spiritual blessing of belonging to God. Indeed, God's promise of spiritual blessing on Abraham depended on him becoming a father. God desires for us to live in and have families and to know some sense of goodness, peace, and blessing through our families as he allows in his sovereign good pleasure. And so, from Abraham, the years of God's story of redemption continue through the Exodus, through King Saul, David, Solomon, through the judges and the prophets, through the stories of hundreds and thousands of families over hundreds and hundreds of years. And then, at the very end of the Old Testament record, we read this prophecy from the Lord. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Then, when John the Baptist was about to appear on the scene, we find this prophecy repeated in the Gospel of Luke. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so, included along with the angel's announcement, that John the Baptist would pave the way for the Messiah, we find this astonishing proclamation that fathers who have their hearts turned back to their children are somehow a, a condition or evidence of a people prepared for the Lord. Throughout Scripture, God's saving message as he reveals himself in history and his concern for the establishment, well-being, and righteousness of the earthly families in which people spend their days seem to go hand in hand. 
In 1 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul writes, But women shall be preserved or saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. I do not pretend to know exactly what Paul means by women being preserved or saved through the bearing of children, but here again we do see some unique and mysterious connection between God's story of salvation and the growth and preservation of our families. I visited a Catholic church in the area a few years ago and had a conversation with a man who seemed to be of some standing in the church, or at least to be a member of it. We talked about children, and I think I mentioned that at the time my wife and I were expecting our fifth child. Assuming that I was also a member of his church, he said with a playful smirk, you know, it's possible to be too Catholic. At times we fail to call God's blessing of family a blessing. We need to be reminded that God was not joking when he breathed these words through King Solomon. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with the enemies in the gate. God makes a home for the lonely in our earthly families. God cares about our families. The world says the family is weak, and indeed, sometimes the family does look very much like a weak and shriveled thing. However, God says the family is powerful. So powerful, in fact, that he has intended that the family has some unique role to play in the outworking of the story of the saving of his people. In Ecclesiastes, we read of a cord of three strands that is not quickly torn apart. Our families are to be like that strong cord with father, mother, and children held together in love. However, the family is not the gospel. The family is not salvation and does not bring eternal salvation to anyone. No matter how smart, wealthy, talented, educated, funny, hardworking, wise, well-adjusted, well-behaved, or just plain good-looking a family may be, that is not salvation in Christ. In fact, any one of these things, or any combination of these qualities, could keep us from seeing the weakness and wretchedness of our souls and from becoming heirs of eternal salvation. God's first concern is to set us free from slavery to sin and to give us new life to adopt us so that we become sons of God and members of his family. Your salvation, whether or not you are right with God, whether or not he is truly savingly your father, is more important than even your family. Salvation from sin is the primary issue of life, according to scripture. We find this point made clear as we read through the book of Acts, in which we find that repentance, salvation, believing in Jesus, and forgiveness of sins are major themes. There are many examples, but I would like to read just two that encapsulate the Apostles' message. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is the apostolic message. This is the message Jesus gave his apostles to proclaim. Yes, God does provide us the blessing of earthly families, but that is not a saving blessing. Our families do not redeem us from the house of slavery, 
So God makes a home for the lonely in his heavenly family. The Apostle Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Similarly, Paul writes, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We find in these passages that even more significant than our earthly families in God's eyes is that he himself is calling a family of sons and daughters out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the Apostles' Creed, Christians say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. One aspect of what the phrase, the communion of saints, means is that God, through Christ, provides the believer a family, the family of God. In this family, we are given new spiritual relatives. In addition to our earthly family, we are given new blood relations through Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. Our spiritual DNA has been miraculously transformed so that our membership in God's household has been established. As significant as our earthly families are, God is most concerned that through Jesus Christ, people are brought to seek his kingdom and righteousness. As special as families are, our sin problem is the ultimate issue. As one songwriter says, sin is a cancer, not just a thing you do from time to time, like slipping or tripping or losing your keys. It's in you, mister. Sister, it's in me. In the second psalm, we read that we must do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and we perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed at all are all who take refuge in him. Amazingly, God has made it possible for us to take refuge in his Son by crushing him for the sake of our sins and their covering. The prophet Isaiah wrote, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. The dread mystery of Jesus' agonizing separation from his Father is the means by which we can be identified with God the Father. He is the way we become actually adopted by the Father, who then becomes our Father. The psalmist writes, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Isaiah proclaimed, Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer from of old is thy name. Of course, we also have the words of Jesus himself, who said that those who by grace have become his followers can confidently speak to his Father in prayer as our Father. In the Gospel of Christ, the prostitute becomes a daughter, the thief and liar becomes a son, the slave is set free, the bum, the broke, the loser becomes rich and reigning with Christ, the orphan and the illegitimate are adopted, the confused and abused are made new creations and are given the very mind of Christ, the murderer is acquitted. The same songwriter I mentioned a moment ago in the same song I referred to a moment ago includes this lyric as well. This is what it's like to be loved. 
This is what it's like to be forgiven. This is what it feels like to be alive, to be living in a way that you don't have to fear being zapped by God because you don't measure up. After all, that's the point. So, someone might ask, if God has provided me with the blessing of an earthly family, and most importantly, has adopted me into his spiritual family, why do I still feel lonely? The short answer to that question is sin. Due to the lasting effects of Adam's fall and our own sin, past, present, and future, the lonely have been placed, the lonely who have been placed in earthly homes and in the family of God might still experience lonely, solitary feelings and circumstances. Jesus said, In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. This leads to my third point. Membership in God's heavenly family sustains us through the challenges of our earthly families to the praise of his glory. Though the gospel can and often does provide secondary benefits to our families as God conforms each of us to the image of Christ, ultimately and primarily, the gospel is a promise of salvation from sin. Not a promise of health, wealth, and happiness for our families. It is not a promise of sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, everything that's wonderful. There is no promise of perfect family relationships for the believer, but of something even better. What C.S. Lewis called infinite joy. Peace with God the Father. A big brother in Christ who sticks closer than any earthly brother. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life. One broad area of challenge our families face is the area of life's disappointments. There are times when it seems that the circumstances of life come crashing in and leave us feeling paralyzed and helpless, perhaps due to an unexpected financial burden or a life-threatening illness. Maybe you've been disappointed or let down by a family member's past, present, or once hidden but now exposed, exposed sins. There are problems in our families, divorce, of angry, mean dads, of disobedient and unrepentant children. There's illness, the threat of death. There are family members who lie, who sin against us. There is helplessness, hopelessness. Sadly, we might find in the Lamentations of Jeremiah a metaphor for the emotional and spiritual state of the family in America, for the state of even the families we each love. The tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. When we face such struggles, it is right for us to grieve. We should mourn. It is okay for us to lament the brokenness we experience. We should mourn, but not despair. For as a member of God's heavenly family, through faith in Jesus Christ, our eternal salvation is secure. We can rest entirely on the life, sacrifice, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God. Regardless of family circumstances, God is still our Father. God is good and faithful through the difficulties in our families, through the fun of dysfunction. As believers, we can draw comfort from the Psalms as they have spoken to the deep needs of people's hearts for hundreds of generations before us. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. Ascribe strength to God. His majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O God, thou art awesome from thy sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. One of my professors in college used to say, Life is hard, but God is good. In the face of sickness and death, through sadness, sorrow, sin, and stress, in calamity and confusion, God is still the Lord, our Father in heaven. When life hurts, when our families grieve, when pain runs long and hard and would wear us out, when we are forced to pray with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And even though he slay me, I will hope in him. God is still the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and the father of his blood-bought children. Jesus still promises, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He is still the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Our Father is yet accomplishing his will in our lives, in our family, in our church. He will be glorified and will understand it better by and by. As we travel through this wilderness, there will be times when we say, I do believe, help my unbelief. But may we be encouraged by the words our Heavenly Father has breathed out for our good. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O God, my God. Because of Jesus, who has done all things well, and in whom the Father is well pleased, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, Intercessor, and Helper, who has been given to be with us and to live in us forever, like a town crier in our hearts, our families, and our church, he has pronounced, he is pronouncing, he will pronounce, all is well. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who sets the solitary in families, we commend to your continual care the homes in which you, your people dwell. Put far from them, we ask you, every root of bitterness, the desire for vain glory, and the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and godliness. Knit together in constant affection those who in holy wedlock have been made one flesh. 
turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers. And so enkindle fervent charity among us all, that we may be filled more and more with brotherly love, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.